right, everybody, welcome. In fact, what in fact, what I was—I always keep this on me in case the buddies okay. need me. Um, here's my phone number. If you don't want to ask a question, you can text it. Some people have already emailed, so we'll keep those anonymous. If you'd like to keep your question anonymous, you can text me, and I will watch this to see if we get any questions. And uh, we have this book to give away. We've already given it away. We'll give it away again. Great book. So you, uh, please tell me, raise your hand and give me three reasons why uh, a believer shouldn't marry or shouldn't date an unbeliever. Three reasons. Shouldn't date. Shouldn't date. From last week. Two reasons. <laughs> One reason. Half a reason. No, just kidding. Uh, yes. Have you run? Have you won a book yet, Thomas? No. Okay, go ahead. Uh, we don't have. We don't share each other. Okay, good. That's one. Can you give me two more? Oh, it was. It was all three of them. Because you said go down. And I know. I started. I know. Well, let's see. I, go ahead. Can you give me any more? Uh, there's no. There's the no biblical basis for marriage. Okay. There you go. We'll give it to you. Okay. Maybe that's two out of three. All right. Okay. So. Amy and I are at your disposal for this next hour. Uh, my phone number is right there. Some of you have uh, emailed questions. I will kind of go through those um, systematically as, we're, as you're also asking questions here. So let me pray for us, and then we'll let you have at it. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to serve this group of uh, people with questions regarding romance, relationship, marriage. And uh, God, I pray that you give... Amy and I now the ability to communicate clearly, uh, also with biblical wisdom that you might be able to bless these uh, young folks with clarity about uh, these kinds of important relationships, whether it's romance, whether it's friendship. And we just ask that you bless this time by your spirit and give us all wisdom in these important matters in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we will start off with, uh, let, me, let me pull up the questions that I've received this week. And we'll start with questions out here and then I'll kind of insert these questions as we go along. So what questions do you have this morning for either Amy or I or both of us? Oh, I have one. Yeah. Can you start with like a story of how you guys met and your marriage and stuff? I should tell it because you yeah. tell it longer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go for it. You should tell it. Go ahead. Because I want to have enough time for Okay. You tell it then. Okay. All right. Um, so we met right after college. Uh, he had taken a, a job as a youth pastor, pastor of middle school students at the church in Los Altos where I grew up. And so he got hired in February and I came home from school in LA that summer. Um, and so we were both serving at Vacation Bible School together. So that's when he first saw me and he was like, who is this new girl? And I was like, I am not new here. I've been here since I was born. You're the new guy. Um, and so that's when we first uh, like met each other or knew of one another on the planet. And then um, we did some ministry together with youth and stuff over that summer. I went back down to Los Angeles to get my teaching credential. And he spent that year researching me. Uh, <laughs> trying to get to know my parents, talking to the college pastor about me, trying to just learn about me. Meanwhile, anytime I came home from school, he'd try to talk to me. 
And then so that following summer, when I then permanently moved back to the Bay Area for a teaching position, uh, that's when he asked me out on our first date. And we had talked several times when I had been home for various breaks. So I already, we already kind of knew each other and had been emailing one another too. And then uh, what was, oh, the, the f email, the first like email as far as like intentionalness is he was trying to arrange a half dome trip. And so he emailed me and was like, hey, when you move back home, you want to do this half dome trip, which turned into very long emails. And a funny thing is that my sister was going to intern for him over the summer. And I was in her dorm room one day and I was like, oh, I got another email from Derek Brown. She is, I forget what words she used, but basically when he would email her, it'd be like, really short like when are you when are you going to be moving back or you know what's this info and for me he'd email me these really long emails she's like he only emails me like these little emails why is he emailing you and why are they so long so um then when when i moved back home then uh, we were in a similar class like this together and um he he alluded to it before but he asked me out to go see a harry potter movie because uh, I had been reading sure. the books. So he asked me out Tuesday night at Bible study. We went out on our date Thursday. So between those two days, he watched the first two movies, practiced, <laughs> drove the route like to my house, to the movie theater, to, um, so he wouldn't get lost. And um, so then we dated for six months and got married six months after that. So it was a, yeah, that's the brief. Yeah, that was good. That was good. You, the one part she forgot is, when um, I first saw you, you forgot the, whoa, who is this new girl? <laughs> That's an important piece, so. Um, all right, thanks, Nathan. Uh, another question. James. Uh, no, I was just gonna mention that. Um, oh. Were you practicing the route because there was no Google Maps at that time? Were there no Google Maps at that time? I guess time? it was two, th yeah. There were the no smartphones. It was the MapQuest years. I had. you print them out, you'd print it out. Do you remember that? Print it on and we, go. you know, we emailed because people didn't text yet. We didn't. There wasn't texting, so it was like email, call, write letters. Yeah. So. Anything else? Or do you want me to do a, a an email in an email question? Uh, I do have a question. Okay, okay go okay. ahead. Do that one, and then we'll do this email. Yeah. So, um, I, what is the, you know, as a brother and sister? What is the role of a brothers uh, to the sister in regards to kind of addressing maybe like behavior um, and bringing that kind of stuff up? Like maybe a girl is uh, being too flirtatious with him and he thinks that that's a cause of concern. Is there like, should he address that with her or should he like, you know, talk to other ladies to address that in her? Or like, uh, like what is the level of interaction Yeah, that's, uh, that's a challenging question. I, I, I just see what you think about this. I tend to think that it, it is mostly up to the, uh, the ladies in, is that your phone? Uh, ladies in the life of that woman to be dealing with those issues and not mm -hmm. so much the, the brother and the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and even really the boyfriend until there's more foundations uh, laid so that's where I 
put it, I put it more on the, the ladies who are in her life to bring up those issues rather than the, the brothers. Um, what, would you, what would you say? I agree with that. I think it's tricky because you, you might want to be of help. So I don't think the brother should go directly to the sister. I don't think right, that's I agree. Role. Right, I agree. Yeah. Uh, but then it's like, well, what about the brother going to like, like one of these young men coming to you as the pastor, and then it might get from you that like, is that a route? Do they talk to you, yeah. and then you could, because that maybe it needs some correcting and discipling you to the brother too. Yeah, because you what you don't want to do is triangulate things and now right. you're coming to me and I'm going to somebody else like that's Christianity uh, in terms of relational dynamics is a you go to the person mm -hmm. and deal with that person mm -hmm. and so um, the reason why I hesitate the reason I'm not saying that you absolutely don't say something but that you allow that young lady in terms of her relationships with other women to bear itself out and to be patient and and um, so on, but things are, there are different factors involved too. Is this someone you just recently met? Is this someone who's just recently been at the church who hasn't been able to establish um, a uh, rapport with other ladies and grow in discipleship? There probably is a time where it's appropriate, uh, perhaps because you as a man, you're wondering, is, is she showing interest? And so you probably could approach it in that way. You know, like, I just, I'm just wondering, are, the way you've been acting towards me the last few weeks or whatever, are, are, is there some interest here? I'm not, I'm, I'm a little, I don't, I don't understand. And so you can engage it that way, but I think by and large you want to allow the relationship she has with other ladies to help in those kinds of areas. Mm -hmm. So, so which means yeah. you may need to forbear with, yeah. <laughs> with behavior and leave it to the Lord to, uh, for other means to sanctify that sister. Yeah. Um, okay, here's a question from one of the emails. It uh, has to do with marriage, so I think this will still be helpful. So as a married couple, couple, what is the role of engaging in the spiritual disciplines together, such as praying aloud together and reading the Word? Is it essential in a marriage? On a related note, do you have a system of checking in with each other's spiritual health and make sure that they are persevering in the faith? More generally, what are great ways to keep growing spiritually as a couple? So this is, you know, this is a kind of big debate among um, pastors and teachers and you'll just find I think a disparity of, of opinion with regard to what couples should be doing so some will say that the couples should be reading the Bible and praying together every single night and that should be their routine and um, others will say that that's not important and so on and then you'll have different kinds of gradations in that, in that spectrum of opinion and I think with this, an answer to this is, is an answer that would apply to a lot of situations is it really does depend <laughs> because most importantly, and I, this is where I, I've t I learned this in, in under when I was in college ministry and it, it stuck with me that most importantly my role as the husband is to make sure that Amy has time alone with the Lord. Uh, so I need to make sure that the kids are taken care of. This, this happens in the morning primarily right now so that we get up early in the morning early enough so that we can get ready and then have time in the, in the Word and in prayer individually. And in order to ha make that happen for Amy, I need to go and take care of the kids and make sure they're settled and uh, get, doing their thing for their morning routine so that Amy can be undistracted in the Word and in prayer to start her day. And so 
I see that as one of my primary roles is enabling that in her life, first and foremost. So that's the first thing. And then we do uh, engage in spiritual disciplines together. Uh, I think we, I probably could lead us to be better in this, but typically it's on Mondays. It hasn't been as consistent as it should be, but it's Monday nights we pray together, uh, specifically praying for family, church, and related issues. Uh, we've, we've uh, in the past, we've read some books together. Um, haven't done that as much lately because, I mean, kids just, they just make life much busier and they cram, uh, they require much time and so things are being crammed and, and slotted in areas where you can. So we don't, haven't done that as much since uh, adding uh, Eliana and may, having a third child. And I want to be careful in answering this question because what you don't want to do is lay a burden upon the married couple that Scripture doesn't. So the Scripture doesn't ever anywhere stipulate what your corporate or your couple devotional life should be like. And so it should really be able to flex and have freedom with regard to where you're at in your, your stage of life and kids and so on. And in terms of that, in helping each other persevere in the faith, you're just, if you both have a uh, Christ-centered mindset, and that's hopefully is the case because that's what attracted you to each other, if you both have a Christ-centered mindset, then that in terms of that encouraging one another to persevere in the faith is going to be a daily, even an hourly thing that's happening. And it's going to involve you forgiving one another for sins. It's going to be you involve you uh, calling each other out over sin. And, um, and we are so like closely related all the time that if one of us is slipping, like it's going to be called into question pretty quickly. And so in terms of our dynamic, that's just that's the way... Uh, life is, but that should be that should already be a mindset before you even start talking of practicalities. Your mindset should be um, relating to your spouse in a way that is helping them grow, challenging them in the faith, encouraging their walk in the Lord, and then that's going to bear itself out practically depending on where you at are you you are at in your life. Do you have anything to add, love? Uh, just to add another layer of what you said at the end is that they are your husband and wife are your most intimate brother and sister in the Lord. Mm -hmm. So any way that you see in scripture that you are to encourage one another, uh, exhort one another, serve one another, it's all happening in your marriage relationship. So it's not so much the this systematic, right. we do this on Monday, this on Tuesday, once a month we do this. Uh, that just becomes legalistic and a burden, as he said. It should be happening just as you just relate to one another and are each other's best friend in the Lord. Um, also, you mentioned with children that it becomes more busy. So prior to children, we may have done a lot more of like reading a book together or praying together. Um, as you have children, all of life ends up happening kind of through the children. So he doesn't like, we don't read the word together every day, just me and him. But he does every morning at the breakfast table reads from that day's Proverbs that correlates with the date. And he reads some of those verses to the children. And while I'm like prepping lunches and getting things ready. And so I'm listening in. I'm part of the discussion with the children. So that's feeding me like it's feeding the children. So it, it's not like a, once children come, then life changes and stops. It, it just shifts to now kind of our spiritual accountability comes with how we are intentionally feeding our children. Yeah, it's what it was expected in Israel. It was just as you wake up, as you go down, as you go along, walk along the way. You just, Christianity should be so natural to you. Your walk with the Lord should be so just part of who you are that it just, 
which is what you do. This is just what you do, right? So, yeah, organic, I think. Is that what you yeah. used, the word you used? Yeah. Great. Just kind of overflows all in and out through the relationship. And if you don't have something you can check off, like, that's okay. Because if you really sit and reflect about it, if you're seeking to live in a Christ-like way with your most special, intimate brother in the Lord, then as you reflect, you're like, well, wait, I did like lots of things yesterday that spurred him on to persevere and to encourage him or to call him out on something. So. Any other questions? Yes, go ahead, Vincent. Does anything about your answer change in the dating context as opposed to the marriage one? Hmm. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so the, I think it's very helpful to keep a, a clear line of demarcation between married, single and married, so that a, a dating couple is not acting like a married couple. Mm-hmm. And sure, should, can you pray together? Of course. Um, is, that, is that good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but in terms of developing a, you know, a devotional life together and these kinds of things, that's just, that's just not necessary prior to marriage. And I do see some couples trying to, to force that issue. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessary. I, again, it's similar though. I mean, if you're both Christians, you both have a Christ-centered mindset, then you should both desire to spur one another on to love and good deeds. But it shouldn't look like a married couple because you're not a married couple yet. So um, I do think it's, it's healthy to have prayer together as a, as a dating couple. But even that can, if it's happening a lot early on, can have a tendency perhaps to create uh, a, a kind of a premature intimacy, only you're kind of going the, the spiritual route with it rather than maybe the, the physical, physical route. So um, you have to be aware of that. So I just think in terms of keeping your thinking clear, just thinking along biblical categories is, is helpful. You're either single or you're married. And when you're single, you're not married. And so you want to, to let that kind of shape and flavor how you engage each other spiritually. So... Do you have anything to add? Huh? Well, just like all aspects, you're, you're, as you grow closer to being married and desiring to be married, your desire for greater intimacy will grow too. Yeah. So just like you feel more of this physical draw to one another, then you're going to feel like more willing to share openly about spiritual matters or, hey, I read this this morning or, or you know, my... In my small group, we're doing this book, and you should really read this book. Like, you'll feel that's more natural as yeah. you're getting closer to, like, we are going to put a ring on and go to the altar. Yep. So uh, it should, the desire for greater intimacy should be in all aspects of your relationship. Yeah, and that's exactly why we've talked so much about putting clarity before intimacy. Because if you're achieving that clarity, then that intimacy is going to come and at the right pace and at the right time. And... Um, Amy's right. It's going to gradually grow as you grow, grow closer to the actual marriage date. And things do change when you're engaged, I do mm-hmm. think. Not, not in a theological way, because you're still not married, but in terms of your intentionality, you know, you're, as the man, you said, I, the only, keep, the only, thing, only thing keeping me from marrying you is, is time. That's all it is now. It's a matter of we need to prepare for the actual logistics of the wedding. But once you put that ring on and say, my intentions are... Uh, this is how um, important and, and intentional I am on this, on this issue, then things do tend to kind of almost exponentially start moving in a more intimate direction. So, um, good question. 
Here's one that got text in, so I want to honor this one. This is, this is exciting stuff. 502 <laughs> um, While you were dating, did you have any doubts or concerns about one another? How did you work through them? You can, do you want, you can start on that one if you had doubts and concerns. Um, so Derek was my, my very first anything, so it was a big deal. Um, I got on like group dates in college, you know, and this dorm floor matches up with this dorm floor, stuff like that. But my first real um, anything. So for me, just saying, okay, to him asking me to go to that Harry Potter movie was like, whoa, this is a big deal. (laughs) And so um, I think for both of us, we were at a point where most of you are at in your life now where you finish school, you're in your career, you're like, this, this is me, this is what I'm doing with my life. I just need someone to live life with, someone to hop on this journey with me and do it. There's not like, well, I first need to finish this, first need to do this. Um, that's where we were at. So we knew that once we found someone, for us it was just like marriage. Like we weren't waiting to finish anything. Right. Or, um, so I think that... As far there doubts um, or concerns were the two words. I'm just trying to filter through what should be shared. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you can. I think I know what you're going to say, and it actually ties into a question that I got on email. So then maybe we'll segue into that. I don't know if you know what I'm going to say. Well, it has to do with this. I can't read that fast. Right. right. <laughs> oh, oh, no, that's not a big deal. Okay, see, no. I should okay. have filtered. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I think, at least for me personally, it was kind of more of the... Um, just trying to gauge, like, is this it? Do I want to be with him forever? You know, like, as you're going along, like, you get to know different personality, I don't know, quirks, strengths, weaknesses, things, and it's just, uh, there, wasn't, there weren't any doubts as far as, like, we got to have a big, another big DTR, and, like, I don't know about this. There wasn't ever that. I think it was just the little wiggling of, like, hmm, that was a little... I don't know about that last night, but then I would see him two days from then, and then oh, I really like this guy. So, um, Sweet. It's gonna, so it's gonna, it, that's gonna happen even when you're married. You're not gonna always like each other. There's going to be things that are like, that are annoying, or, but that's living life on life with another sinner. And so if you have your, your big thing set in the ground, which should be before you even say, let's move from, that comes at that clarity stage. Once you have that clarity, you got the big things in the ground and now it's just like these little, little things of how they tie their shoe or comb their hair or thing, you know, it's like, you gotta forbear with some of those things. No, and Amy's right. So that's when I moved up to take the job in in Los Altos, um, had a job, was able to provide, uh, uh, knew what I was looking for in a wife, 
And so, and you were already separated from already your separated. Parents. My parents were up in Montana. I was, you know, out of the house. And so, uh, at that point, in terms of the criteria I gave you guys, I was ready to be married. And so, when it came to then meeting Amy, it was a matter of getting clarity. And is this that was the year of research? Yeah, that's your. Is this someone <laughs> who I'd want to marry? And then, then getting to know her in a dating relationship. And I think. One night outside of Olive Garden, uh, when inside the restaurant, I was really kind of just drilling her like, are, you know, are you a Christian kind of thing. And it was, it, was, it was a bit unnecessary and harsh because um, Tears. I was, I think I had, I was it, was, it became clear to me that my expectations, which is I continue to press upon you guys, direction and not perfection. I think my expectations mm-hmm. were, were uh, too, a little too extreme. And so we, we that that became clear to me and we definitely reconciled and we talked through that and so but because we we both knew what we were looking for in terms of the person we wanted to marry it didn't take long to to figure out that that we wanted to marry each other i i do tell people this though and this is important for you guys and ladies too that it could be the case that this is like maybe a month or i think it was two months before our wedding day and i remember it distinctly i was in our apartment at 2a uh, my living with you know living all, with guys living with guys the guy apartment. all my guy roommates and um, and I was there and I just remember thinking what am I doing like it, should I really get married like this is it and I just had this overwhelming sense of dread of like what am I doing and I think the reason for that is because I recognize how serious and permanent this is you can't just break up after eight months of marriage well you can and it's called divorce but that's not acceptable, right? Um, if there's no grounds. And so I just, I realized that how serious is it? This is it, you know I mean? This is the one forever. And forever in the, till death do us part, not forever in the Mormon sense. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, that was just, I remember that being like that day. And then I went to bed and that morning, next day I woke up and then poof, it was gone. And so you have to be able to recognize that, that that could happen. You could be kind of, but if you work through and you have the right reasons for why you're marrying so-and-so and you, all those things are in place, then you'll be able to navigate through those times where you are having like, whoa, you're starting to feel kind of the, the burden because of how permanent this is. And if, but if you are marrying the person for the right reasons, then you'll be able to work through that. I think mm-hmm. some people are dissuaded from uh, marrying because they fear those kinds of feelings but you can work through those feelings if you are building on a right foundation of the right reasons of why you would want to marry in the first mm-hmm. place so and that's i mean me not mentioning doubts or things like that is that we definitely had rough patches yeah. where we had lots of tears shed and strong words spoken not like yelling or mad at each other but you know just had to really roughly talk through stuff because you've got to do that to get to the point where you are assured that this is a right decision for me because it is the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You are committing forever, like he said. So um, it wasn't like all uh, roses and fireworks and things yeah. because you're, you're dealing center to center. Should we do this? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to use that actually. If you guys have questions here, just hold on to it. I'm going to use that to transition to an email question because I think it, it's related and important. Um, so this question is, is uh, how to deal with a partner's past sexual sin. Okay, So 
what, what should you do? How should you talk about it uh, in terms of the person who's been sinned against, uh, the person who has committed the sin? Maybe you both have a uh, past of sexual sin, but uh, how, do you, how do you deal with that as a couple? And this is a very important question. So I'll start off and then see what okay. Amy has to say. But uh, so when we do premarital counseling, we try to start off, well, you eventually get to it in the premarital counseling, so depending how you start off, it's really not important, because eventually you get to it, and you do, we encourage couples, in fact, it's probably stronger, we probably exhort couples to be honest with each other about your sexual mm-hmm. past, because um, this, this aspect of your relationship is a, is a precious component of your relationship, and they, if you have sinned in this way prior to marriage, then you have sinned against the person that you are about to marry, in, in a sense. You've sinned against God, you've sinned against the person you sinned with, but also by not keeping the marriage bed pure prior to marrying this uh, person, whether that sin was in the uh, past prior to Christ, it doesn't matter. And here's what's important. Um, there's, there's kind of a, a trend for, for Christian people to talk about when you came to Christ, you are now a new virgin. And uh, you know, you're, you've, you've come to Christ, you're washed, you're cleansed, you may have had a sexual past, but now that you're, that was prior to Christ, now you're in Christ, and now you're kind of a new virgin. And uh, that's wrong, that's not true. You will ne- if you lost your virginity prior to Christ, you have always lost it, and it's, and it's, and it's gone, and it's, you can't have it restored, okay? You have committed physical sin, you are forgiven for that sin, you will not uh, bear that sin's punishment, Christ loves you, God loves you, you are in Christ, but nevertheless you have committed that sin and it bears those marks, those scars, so to speak, for, for, forever in, in terms of till death do, does its part forever. And so you have to reckon with that. It's, it's not something that goes away. And it may have impact into your marital relationship because that's how serious this sin is. And we just have to be willing to recognize it. So you have to be honest with each other about your sexual past. It's a kind of defrauding, I think, if you're not. If you're, if you're going into the marriage, one person's thinking they have kept themselves pure for their, their wife or their husband, and they're, they're anticipating that same thing. And for you to not be honest with them at that level is a kind of lying and defrauding. Okay, It's not kind. It's not fair. And so you do need to be honest. And... I don't think that requires extreme amount of graphic detail. That would probably be defiling and, and unhelpful for the other person. But it does need to say, I have committed sexual sin beyond just kissing somebody else in the past, or if you need to, that I've had sexual intercourse with someone in the past prior to marriage. That needs to be open and honest. Okay, That's on the side of the person committing the sin. And maybe you both have, but at least you have to communicate that. And then on the receiving side, where the person has, the, the person has kept themselves uh, pure up to, leading up to their marriage, there's going to be hurt. You have to expect that. It, you're not going to like hearing that. It's not going to feel good. It's going to be painful, and it should be. And you need to allow the kind of just the full brunt of that to just accept that and embrace that this is painful. And, um, and then... Be willing, in as much as your partner that you're interested in is a Christian and they are repentant over this sin, and um, to to consider fully forgiving them and embracing them, knowing that they are coming with this this sin, 
but nevertheless recognizing that in Christ they are a new person, in Christ they are cleansed, and that there can be great hope for your relationship in the marriage, personally, sexually, the whole package in Christ, even though they, he, he or she does bring this to the marriage. And so there needs to be honesty on the one side, there needs to be uh, reciprocal forgiveness on the other. Again, if you're not married, uh, you're not obligated to, to be married. Perhaps this is something that you just can't overcome. That's okay. Uh, we, we wouldn't want to say that, you, that, you're, uh, that this is not a deal breaker, but you also need to be honest with the hurt that you've experienced. And uh, I'll now turn this over to Amy because I had a sexual past and, um, and I had to communicate that to Amy and she had to deal with it. So maybe this is a good transition for you to to say mm -hmm. what you've had to, mm -hmm. to deal with. Well, also to clarify that mostly you, you were relating it towards physical, more than kissing situations. But mm -hmm. this can also apply to having a addiction with pornography or sexual fantasy or oh, sure, yeah. other things. It doesn't need to be just uh, a marriage act with <laughs> someone else. But... Um, I don't think I have much more to add beyond what you said, but to just know that, oh boy, it really affects the other person. And they need to, they, out of love for them, you need to be honest with them. That's all I, I really can say. Yeah. And that we, we say over and over again, and we said it again to each other this week, about how thankful we are that forgiveness is so... Um, alive and well in our marriage and we say it through premarital and we say it when couples are dating forgiveness and communication are huge <laughs> huge and if you don't have that you won't have health in your relationship um, and so I've had to do lots of for lots of forgiving and mm -hmm. repetitive forgiving um, but it's really grown me to have just be more forgiving. Right, and then it's good for me, good for my soul. Right, and our our relationship is is gospel grounded. Then, so mm -hmm. you don't want to make the mistake of thinking, well, I can't marry this person because they have a sexual past. Um, thinking that you, because what you're thinking of in terms of relationship is a, a relationship from this point on is going to be relatively perfect. Perfect. There won't mm -hmm. be much need for forgiveness mm -hmm. for, for this point on, and that's just a wrong way to think about relationships in general. Uh, a healthy, vibrant marriage is one where there's a lot of forgiveness, which implies that there's a fair amount of sin, right? But that's how God has designed us for us to grow deeper in relationship is through forgiveness. Not that you would revel in sin so that you might show grace, but rather that rec recognizing that this is how we grow deeper in with each other and with our relationship with the Lord is by grounding our relationship in the gospel and in forgiveness. So you don't want to make the mistake of thinking, well, I... I mean, you have the freedom to choose who to marry, uh, according to Paul, but you also don't want to uh, turn someone down on that basis, thinking that what you're going to have from this point on, if you were to marry someone who is totally pure, is a relatively perfect marriage that doesn't require forgiveness. That's wrong thinking, too. So. And there's wisdom in knowing when to disclose what. Yeah. You know, you don't take, you don't go out on a first date and you're like, well, I just got to let you know up front. <laughs> it comes with the growth of intimacy in the relationship. Yeah. And so that's just something that you may need a, 
a mentor, someone further along in the faith, Derek or me, someone to speak into, when do I tell them? How yeah. much do I tell them? Yeah. And that's what's the blessing of having a, a dating relationship happening within the body of the church, because then you have uh, others who have gone before you that can help speak into it. Uh, we'll take one from out here if anybody Live has question. one. Yeah, Chilam. Chilam. I didn't catch the first part. The biggest challenge. What's uh, the, the biggest, biggest challenge in your marriage? Biggest. Okay. Leaving the kids out of it, you said, yeah. <laughs> we, we say mar marriage is sanctification on steroids, and then when you have children, it's like super steroids yeah, or something. Yeah, it's like mega steroids or whatever, <laughs> however you... Uh, biggest challenge in our marriage. I'm probably the biggest marriage. challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think it all just falls under the category of communication. When we're not doing well, it's because we're not communicating well. We're assuming things. We are mostly assuming things. Um, I just, and that can just happen in all the nitty gritty day to day stuff. We communicate well on the big stuff, you know, like we have a big decision to make. We're going to talk it through, make sure we do, we're on the same page. But when it comes to like, we're trying to get out the door uh, to go and take the family somewhere and do something, it's like, well, I thought you were going to do this. I thought you were going to do that. Or why are we late? And I thought this, and then that just like casts the whole, like, I don't like you right now aspect. Right. Um, and so that's probably the biggest challenge is, is, Make sure we're clearly communicating with one another. Yeah, I do think. You agree yeah, with I do that? think communication is a is a, a big challenge. I also think it's our individual desires. We mm -hmm. want what we want. Mm -hmm. I want what I want. I want to do this thing. It might be a good thing, um, but I want to do this thing and I want to do it this way. But oh, I also, by the way, I'm one flesh and sharing life with this person over here, and she may want to do something else and have other ideas, and so that's a big challenge. You know, in in that sense, you. You, when you're you're not married, a lot of your decisions can be made, and you just, you make them and you move on and you do it and and but it doesn't affect now, many affects other people. Yeah, it affects primarily you. It'll affect other people, but it affects in terms of your household. It affects primarily you. Then, so that now Amy and I have it. Sometimes we have competing desires, and we're the most intimate relationship we have. And so, how do you deal with those competing desires? And that ties into uh, relationships. So, or ties into communication. So. I think, yeah, your answer is. Yeah, you probably of, got the root of it. Yeah. And it bears the root of it, the biggest challenge is that we're selfish. Yeah, that's right. We love <laughs> and ourselves. And we, we have what we want to do. And when we don't communicate it clearly, then we clash with yeah. one another. And we tell uh, married couples or in our premarital, we'll tell them like what you're going to find, and we found this early on, and this was helpful, that you both have desires. Let's just assume they're, they're good desires or godly desires, they're legitimate desires. Maybe they're not directly spiritual, but they're legitimate desires, wholesome desires, whatever. And for example, I have particular desires with regard to my work and how much I want to work and what I want to do in my work and that sort of thing. And those can be good desires. And Amy has certain ideas and desires around uh, home and family and kids and what our family can do and so on. 
And so what we've done is, or recognize is that we need to be regularly talking about our desires with one another. Hey, this is what I would really want to do. And then she'd communicate that to me. And then we, we both learn how to lay our lives down for the other and mm -hmm. be willing to sacrifice, compromise. But we have to be regularly communicating in that way and expressing like, listen, I really want to do this particular thing for work. It's going to require this amount of hours or this time away. And then Amy communicates and we're going back and forth. And I think through that you are realizing both that the, the other person's desires are valuable and that you need to lay down your life and vice versa. So those are the, yeah, I think that's good. Uh, the root and then mm -hmm. the bearing itself out in communication. Mm -hmm. uh, a little practical thing to slip out there that kind of relates to this, something that we did even when we were dating, is that every Sunday evening we'd sit down and like talk about our week together. Like, okay, you've got this on Tuesday night, I got this Wednesday. Oh, you have this big thing at work on Thursday. Um, so that it kind of took care of the like daily like, wait, I thought we were meeting up at five. No, I can't get there till seven. Remember I had this meeting at 5.30. And in, instead of having this like <laughs> hour by hour, half day by half day, what are you doing? No, I'm, so we sat down every Sunday night and like talked through the, our week. And one time we were doing it in his office, his youth pastor office, and our senior pastor popped in. He's like, what are you guys doing? We're talking through our week. He said, you keep that up when you get married. We must have been engaged yes, at the time. Um, and uh, he's like, that's really going to help. Because um, a lot of the miscommunication, the I want this, you want that, comes from our individual expectations. So you can cut a bit of that off if you, you know, once a week go through, kind of talk through your week. Okay, yes, we're, we are meeting up on, you know, we're going to, have date time I'm gonna go out for dinner on Thursday and we got our Bible study on Tuesday can we can we grab coffee before that cuz I'd like to see you more than just Thursday when you can talk about that ahead of time kind of cuts down so yeah. we've carried that into being married and weeks when we do it go better than weeks when we don't do it so That's, that is true that's just a truth that's an axiom so a little practical <laughs> yep. um, okay here's a text one what's your view on how uh, a couple should man should how a couple should manage their finances. Is there a clear biblical view on how it should be handled? And I, I want to say a couple things. First, uh, is this? You don't have to shout out whoever this was. We're trying to keep it anonymous, but uh, I'm assuming this is for a married couple because again, if you're not married, then your boyfriend or your fiance has no business telling you what to do with your finances, and uh, and so. That's let's just. Though I, I am kind of more conservative, old school, in that the boyfriend should be paying for things. And I said that in here. I said it, guys pay for. It. it it is a way of showing ahead of time that I am going to take care of you, yeah. like by being like, oh, forgot my. Well, now you have your phone. You pay with like <laughs> non-existent money. I don't even know how to do that. I don't have any of those accounts. No Venmo. Um, that. I was going to say, oh, I forgot my wallet, but it doesn't matter. You'd have to forget your whole world to not be able to pay. Yeah, yeah. But um, he, like, just pay. Pay for everything. Because that just is a way of showing her that I'm going to provide and care for you, and I, I'm responsible. And Even so. if she has a better job. 
right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because when you are married, potentially the husband may have a higher, or I mean, the wife could have a higher paying job at, at a higher paying job, but that doesn't mean he's the one that is not providing. Yeah. But so, that's a side note. Yeah. So the then so with regard to a married couple, then we are convinced that, and this is what we tell married couples, that you should have, uh, everything should be joint because you are one flesh and everything should be one, including, your, and probably most importantly, your finances so that you don't have separate uh, bank accounts, you know, and, and uh, investment accounts lying off somewhere. Um, so, and so we say everything should be joint and then with regard to how you should manage those finances, uh, you want to be careful that you are spending only what you can, you're spending under what you are bringing in. You are spending according to your means. You are keeping, it, uh, you're keeping your finances orderly. So we, I do our budget every single month and so that I can see what we have for savings, what we can, uh, what we can spend. But also when I'm organized like that, when we're organized like that, we know exactly what we can give. So we can be actually more generous than when we otherwise would be if we're just kind of saying, oh, I'll, get, I'll give when the Spirit leads. Well, if you do that, then you're not going to give nearly as much as the person who is orderly in their finances saying, I can give exactly this much and up to this much and even more, and they can give. And so we, wanna, we uh, keep our finances orderly. We try to spend uh, uh, under our means and make sure that we're not blowing through our budget each month. And we, everything is joint. Amy has uh, access to everything. She is the... Uh, beneficiary of every account, even if I'm the one who's managing it, like our investments and stuff. And um, so that's, that's just a real quick thing. But this finances issue is, is a pretty important one. But you do, you want to have orderliness in your finances as a couple. And that's for the sake of knowing what you can spend and especially knowing how you can give. And it decreases a lot of friction in your mm -hmm. relationship, in the marriage. Uh, it's just been shown that married couples fight most about money, sex, and in-laws. Those are the three big uh, disagreements and fights. And um, if you have orderly finances and you guys are agreed on how to, how to spend things and you just remove a huge potential area of disagreement and friction and um, probably there needs to be a, a you might be Two, of two different minds on how you should spend money and so on. And uh, I would encourage the, obviously the man to lead in this particular area, but you want to be careful that you are, you want to move in a like-minded direction in this regard, because you don't want to have someone who is a disorderly and, and, and kind of a flagrant spender and another person who's conservative, conservative that could create real problems in your marriage. So, but that's a, that could be a whole, we could probably do a whole, uh, ser a whole series on mm -hmm. finances. Um, any questions out here? I got. I have text. I have text questions rolling in like crazy. So, <laughs> any other questions out here? They're probably texting. Okay, I see. Do you think we should be uh, dating more? <laughs> you mean, you you mean kind of the the. Mm -hmm. that I like this girl or like I, I really like this girl and I figured her out and so that's when I'm going to ask her out. Mm -hmm. yeah. You mean the yes. casual, just kind of yeah. getting to know Eunice, yeah. And then there are those people who are just like, no, I'll just date anybody. Mm -hmm. you know? 
must be some kind of balance mm -hmm. with regards to that because to be stuck in analysis paralysis and never do anything. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, some people think date means like you're already like this is who I'm going right. to end up marrying. And some people think of date as I just met you. Let's go to coffee and yeah. get to know you a little bit and know you're not for me and move on. Yeah. I would say given what we've talked about already in, in terms of pursuing corporate friendships, getting together a lot, getting to know together, getting to know each other in these, these good, healthy corporate settings that given that, there, yes, there should be more dating because as I argued a couple weeks ago, I think, now putting it on the guys of being the initiators, I think more guys should be attracted to more girls than is presently the case. And we worked through the reasons why that may not be the case. So given, assuming that this corporate French, these corporate friendships are happening and you're just getting together a lot and you're, you're able, you have now the opportunity to see each other and see how each other engage in these groups and you're getting to know one another on these levels, then, then you're able to move into more of a dating uh, situation with maybe not the high pressure of this is the one I'm going to marry, but it's far more than just a casual date. It's like, no, I think there's some reasonable expectations here that this, this will go well and I want to get to know this person better. So that's how I would say, that's how I'd answer that question, uh, James. So kind of in the middle. <laughs> um, okay, this is an important one. I got I to gotta answer this one. Uh, on the issue of sexual sin, can a female have the expectation of her boyfriend to overcome his addiction per, per, mm. to pornography before entering marriage? Yes, and you should require it. Absolutely. Mm. You should not get married. You should not even agree to be engaged until he has this under control. Period. End mm. of story. And um, that's why you need, and I'm telling you, if you don't, there's going to be trouble. So uh, you, need to, you need to be willing, ladies, have the courage, ladies, uh, to ask this question and to get an honor, honest answer. And uh, if he is not willing to take the right course to get this handled, namely uh, through confession and accountability and other, other legitimate means, then I would encourage you to not marry that man, not even be engaged because of the kind of trouble it's going to cause you in your marriage. Okay? And so... Um, Guys, you got and you got to be honest with you. Don't want to you don't want to bring this into the marriage, but and sadly you have to say this because of how devastating. And I've already talked to you about this. How devastating this pornography epidemic really is, and what it does to the male mind. Okay, so yes, that was an easy answer. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you want to see a season of faithfulness. You want to see there to be a growing, growing gaps between um, falls into this particular sin. So that's what it needs to look like. We always use the phrase a lot, direction and not perfection. In the case of pornography, there needs to be a growing season of faithfulness. So it's not you see him saying, okay, um, you know, I've been pure for this week. That's just not a long enough time. It needs to be a matter of months, and it needs to be a growing, growing gaps between episodes, and hopefully no more. See, here's, here's the thing. The, the reality is, is that because this is a, a physical act of the will, 
it is something that you can stop today. If you, if you, there, there should, you should just not be looking at pornography, period. Now, there are, there are withdrawals that come along. I'm serious. There are withdrawals that come along with that. Your whole body will be crying out for that, that um, fulfillment, just like in using a, a drug. And so you have to fight through those things. But there's no reason at all why today you cannot, why today cannot be the last day you look at pornography. So, but even then, knowing, knowing that the, the struggle that men have with this, you, at the very least you need to see a prolonged season that I think at the very least is, is months, um, not just weeks or days. Um, and you want to see growing gaps between individual incidents of, of that activity. Do you have anything to say about that one? Well, just as with any type of sin, with pornography, um, what really helps to root it out is confessing it. Mm -hmm. Somebody else knowing about it. That's what really helps root it out. So um, I just encourage anyone that does want or need help with that to find someone that you can trust that you can confess it to and repetitively confess to that can hold you accountable. Um, because it's very easy to have that be a very private sin that no one knows about. But uh, confessing is what kills it. Exactly. Amen. Uh, regarding finances and leading to marriage, what if a partner is interested in, in or insistent on a prenuptial agreement? Hmm. Um, you guys know what a prenuptial is? Okay, so I would, I mean, I just I have a very strong opinion on this. So I'm just going to let her rip. You have very strong opinions on most things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that also can be... A, you know who else has strong opinions in our family? Colton Brown. <laughs> and you know where he gets that? Okay, well, next. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I think this is a grounds... So if, if, if the man, let's say, for example, and I had someone in my family do this. He was requiring his wife to get a prenup. Um, that if the, one of the spouses or one of the couples is, let's say it's the man requiring it, that the woman should strongly consider not getting married. Because she, he is already saying, we are, we, are, we are almost one flesh. Not 100%, but we're about 90, 92, maybe 85%. I don't trust you with everything. I don't trust you completely. And my question is, then how in the world can you marry this guy? Okay, so if he's requiring a prenup, you say, see ya. And that may but be... But it's not that easy to well, just I say know. see ya. I know. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, it's a bad sign. What if that prenup comes from the family business? Hmm. <laughs> so in other words, I, I know a friend that had to get a prenup because he was rightful heir of the business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Millions of dollars. Sure. Mm -hmm. So in order to get married, his family required that if he has any part of that, hmm. he has a prenup. I, I personally would re reject the requirement of the prenup from the business. Because if you, the concern is that she's going to, she's a gold digger and she's going to uh, marry you in, in, or, in order to get to a piece, get of the the, piece of the action, then um, why are you, why marrying, are you her? marrying her? Again, it's a matter of being able to trust the person you're marrying. And if you don't have, if you're not able to trust them in order to become one flesh with them, then you have no business being married. So I, me personally, I would reject the requirement from 
the family business. Say sorry. So, I know it's intense, huh? Those, these, these strong opinions just get us in trouble. Um, all right, we're almost out of time. Uh, here, here this, this one's for you. Okay. Do you think there's a time frame for dating when it's too long before getting married or too soon? The quick answer is yes. I think it can be too soon and it can be too long, but it all depends on the individual couple and the why, why it's too quick and why it's too long. Um, and there can be tons, tons of reasons for it. Um, and it all depends on who, whose opinion of it is. You know, we, we dated six months, we're engaged six months. Some people thought that was really fast. Other people thought that was just standard for how old you were and where you were at in life. Um, some people, it can be a matter of weeks. I personally think that's too fast. Some people think, oh, that's fine. <laughs> some people think that you should, some people think five years of dating, oh, that's not long. I think that's long. Mm -hmm. But um, so it's just a matter of opinion. I think there is wisdom in seeing someone through kind of all seasons of life. I think. Have, having about a year is probably a general good rule of thumb of wisdom. You know, you've kind of gone through um, every season. You've seen each other's birthdays. You've gone through different holidays, which express family traditions, the person's way of doing things. Um, you've also gotten to see kind of just their integrity over that length of time, how they use their money. So I think if it's too short, you just don't have an opportunity to know that person in their full, fully of who they are, if it's if it's too short, you only see them in certain aspects. You know, you give it you give it enough time, you're able to see them when they're sick. You're able to see them when they maybe went through some sort of trials. If it's really short, you don't have enough opportunity to see how they handle adversity and, um, or even enough time for the two of you to get into a real conflict. You know, when we do premarital, we're, we get to some parts where they have to share when they've had arguments or conflicts. And a lot of them are like, ah, I don't, you know, we have to share this with Eric and Amy. It's like you should have conflict because, because you are two sinners living together in relationship with one another. So it is okay. You will have arguments because that's what happens when you're living life on life with someone. Right. So... Um, I guess that wasn't an answer. I yeah. just I think it depends on the individual couple, but there is wisdom in giving enough time to be able to see that person in many contexts and go through many things. Yep. Um, I wanted to do this one, and then probably should wrap up. I do need to go get the kids okay. at like 10, 10, 10, uh, 15. Because yeah, this is an email one that I that I said I would address. Is it possible to be uh, to want to be married, but also feel called to be single for the time being, or is that just a manifestation of fear and unwillingness to commit? Mm. And I do think yes. I think you can feel a sense of call to be single uh, for a specific reason in your uh, current stage of life, and perhaps there are reasons for that. Perhaps I know we knew young ladies who were. Um, they took what was it three years to be journeymen, mm -hmm. which is a, a overseas, missions overseas missions, overseas missions for, three years, for three years, and I mean that they had to be True. single. I mean, just, that's how it worked. And so, you, yeah. It, but I think it, and I, there needs to be some intentionality to it. And um, because of what Paul's saying in First Corinthians seven, as he does give the 
all the advantages for singleness, he does begin by saying that the normal state for most people is going to be marriage. And that in order to avoid, avoid sexual immorality, each woman should have her own husband and each husband should have his own wife. And so that's, it's the normal state. So if you have desires for marriage, it's the good sign that you should be moving in that direction, particularly guys, because it's going to be on you to start leading in that, that direction. So I think this is a matter of, of determining what are the reasons I, I desire to stay single and, and, um, and then pursuing those with some intentionality. And it's going to be slightly different, I think, for the woman than it is for the man because it's upon him to, to pursue. But um, the, to answer the question here, is it just a manifestation of fear and unwillingness to commit? It could be. It could be. Um, or it could be that you're trying to be intentional for a season. But also being open and willing that God may bring someone into your life in order to lead to marriage. And you want to be open to that. But I do think the desire for marriage, that desire itself is, is an indication, a signal that that's what you should be considering in terms of your uh, permanent state in, uh, in this life. So, All right, well, we're over time. I didn't get to every question. I didn't get to every text. I probably didn't get to every question out here. But uh, let's give it up for Amy for coming and joining us. And, you and guys please, are, yeah. just a general shout out of please ask, still ask us questions. Like we love to be involved with you and help you. And I don't get to be as involved uh, as hands-on like being at YoPro anymore or um, here all the time because of our... Our kids need me, um, but ask us questions or invite us in or um, we want to be of help all the time yep. when we can. All right. Thanks, you guys. <laughs>